Richard Radio begins in three, two, one. I mean, I don't know if there is or not. I don't know. I, I never thought about it. You know, maybe I'm off, but I don't know. Nothing comes to the forefront of my mind. You don't call them sinners. I, I never thought about it, but I probably don't. Give us some men who know the truth and who will declare the truth and who will declare from the housetops that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Hello and welcome to Wretched. Joining me in studio, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, author of two books we are excited about, We Will Not Be Silenced, and No Reason to Hide to Help Us Be Christians in a Culture That Is Not As Christian As It Once Was. But on this particular program, we want to focus on evangelism. And to kick it off, I am going to share a secret about you. You ready? I hope I'm ready. I'll Mm -hmm. find out if I'm ready. So Dr. Lutzer and I, after church on Sunday, went out for lunch. And before I could get to the table, he beat me to the table. Before I could get there, you had engaged Derek, the person who was going to wait on us, you were already talking to him about Jesus forgives sinners. <laughs> do you do that everywhere you go? I try to. You know, when I'm in a restaurant, for example, even in Europe where, you know, belief in God is certainly not uh, popular at all, I would say to a waiter or a waitress, God bless you. And they'd say, oh, yeah. And, I'll, and then I say, and you do believe in God, don't you? There it is. You're there. Well, you know, I'm not sure, yaddy, yaddy. And then I tell them, in the next 30 or next 60 seconds, I'm going to tell you the best news that you have ever heard in your life. And in 60 seconds, or maybe 90 seconds, I tell them that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And what they need to do is to recognize. And then I say, You may not think you need Jesus, but when you're overwhelmed with guilt and fear of death, remember it's Jesus you're looking for because he died for us and his death is a sacrifice. And what you have to do is to admit your helplessness, your your sinfulness, and transfer your trust to him. And I would leave that witness oftentimes with a tract or something like that because Here's, here's the exciting thing. Jesus told a parable in which he said that a sower went forth to sow, and he sowed seed, and then he slept well, and the seed grew, and he said he understood not how it grew. I'm paraphrasing, of course. We have no idea how the word of God sown into somebody's heart might come back to him. Now, back in the days when you used to talk to people on the plane, nowadays because of COVID, even though COVID has passed, we no longer talk because people are all listening to their devices. I used to engage almost everyone I sat next to. I can give you a number of examples, but here's one. Here's a very self-righteous lady, and uh, she says to me, one thing is sure. I know that hell doesn't exist. And I said, really? (laughs) I said, how would you know that? Did God reveal this to you? I mean, you know, how, how in the world could you know that hell doesn't exist? Well, that's my view. 
I said, my, you get 12 people together, you get 15 views. I said, you know, Jesus spoke about hell 10 or 11 times, and I don't want to offend you, but I'm going with Jesus on this one. Let me tell you one other story, and it always seems as if I'm talking uh, to women, but of course I also talk to men all the time. But I remember there was one woman who was very self-righteous. You could just tell that she oozed. I said, would you consider yourself ungodly? No, I'm not ungodly. I said, you know, I feel so sorry for you. Because I said, then you can't take advantage of what Jesus did for us because the Bible says he died for the ungodly. So if you're not ungodly, you can't accept what Jesus did. What we have to do is to plant those seeds that we believe eventually will bear fruit. And I tell people, someday you're going to be overcome with guilt and you won't know where to park your guilt or your fear. And Jesus is the answer to that issue. And so we help them in their journey. Right. Now, at what age can I say to somebody without them punching me in the nose, I feel sorry for you? How do you get away with saying something like that? Because if I said something like that, they would just get mad and storm away, even on an airplane. Well, they wouldn't storm too far on an airplane. <laughs> there are limitations of what you can do on a plane. Okay, but, but in a sense, because I've been with you when you engage people, and I've watched you, and it's winsome, it's pastoral. It, it is not argumentative in nature. Ray Comfort has that gift, too. In our postmodern world, Ray Comfort can ask somebody a question in an evangelistic encounter, and they'll give a wrong answer, and he'll say, well, no, and then he'll explain the right answer. Saying, well, no, you're wrong is one of the most offensive things you can say these days, but because of the way he says it, it does not come across like he's antagonistic. And you do that too, and frankly, it agitates me. Well, I use a question, and there are many questions right. you can ask. Right. Don't ask somebody if they're a Christian, because they have no idea what Christianity is, or they'll say yes, and they have no idea what they're talking about. I often ask them this, tell me, where are you on your spiritual journey? Sure. And then they begin to say, well, I was brought up in the church, but I left the church, yada, yada, or I have no faith, or I do this. And then you keep asking questions. And pretty soon the questions reveal the hollowness and the emptiness of their own life and of their own viewpoint. And uh, then there are open doors for the gospel. See, now this is where I can tell. You're not from these parts. I can tell you're from above the Mason-Dixon line because you say, don't ask somebody if they're a Christian. And I, I actually think there are better questions than that because everybody in the South has been born again statistically 7.3 times. <laughs> but because you cannot swing a dead cat without hitting a little Baptist church here, I like to ask the question, did you go to church as a kid? And that opens, because most people will at least go, yeah, cool, what did they teach you there? And then you're off to the races. Yes. So in the Bible Belt, where it's still a veneer of Christianity, you can get away with that, but 
I think one of the smartest ways we can start to engage somebody isn't by simply saying, did you know that God has a wonderful plan for your life or whatever it is? Asking questions and actually listening, I have found to be the most effective way to communicate the gospel with people these days. What are some of the questions that you would, with a complete stranger, ask them to talk about spiritual things? Before I give you some of those questions, let's remind ourselves that Jesus in the gospel, if you count them, he asked more than 100 questions. Jesus questioned people all the time, and sometimes his questions just left them speechless, and he walked away. You know, David's son, whose son is he, and so forth. And he would make them think, and he drew out from them where they were at, or their mouths were closed, and they weren't able to answer. So, there are many different questions. One can be, if you're talking to an adult, how much adult consideration have you given to the Bible? Or another one, who to you is Jesus Christ? What do you think of Jesus? You've heard about him. What is your opinion of him? Or as I mentioned, where are you on your spiritual journey? Now, I want to say this, Todd, that if we are open to God, it's amazing the direction that he will lead us and the doors that will open to us. But we always have to be compassionate. Has anybody, when you've tried to engage them on this level, and I suspect it's hundreds, maybe thousands of folks, uh, whatever preacher, I'm not interested. Did they ever just shut you down that aggressively? Maybe, maybe. I had one guy on a plane when I was trying to explain the gospel to him. Pardon? You fly a lot. Is it just yes. a witness to people because yeah, they're captive? Right, right. <laughs> you know, United Airlines and American are very glad that I'm a witnessing person so yeah, that they that's have very true. often on the airlines. But um, I remember talking to a man who clearly was disinterested. And when he, I warned him that when he stood before God, he wasn't going to have much to say. But he said, if you stand on your own record, before God, you're going to be in deep trouble because all of our works are tainted with sin and God demands absolute righteousness to enter into heaven. And he just said, I'm going to be fine. Thank you very much. Well, that's all that you can do. Right. You know, you can't pry into a person's heart and see what's really going on there. We will continue with our very special guest, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, Moody Church, Chicago, Illinois, author prolific author. He's written, well, if you have a book in your house, he's probably written it, and he's going to help us to continue to ask good questions so that you and I can be winsome witnesses for Jesus Christ. Next on Wretched. Hey, isn't this Groovy. Dozens of crisis pregnancy centers have been vandalized or set on fire because of the Roe v. Wade decision. A preborn center in Buffalo was firebombed. A preborn clinic in Gresham, Oregon was hit with an incendiary device. A preborn clinic in Miami vandalized and they're receiving bomb threats. In other words, the battle for life is becoming a battle for life. And yet, the preborn centers continue to open. Support organizations like Preborn and like your local pregnancy clinic 
that are unwaveringly and without fear opening again today, offering free, loving, Christ-centered alternatives to these young women. Be part of the solution. Please join the literal battle for life. Preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. The month of October is finally here, which means football season is in full swing, basketball season's not far behind, the leaves are falling, and it's time for the annual Wretched Fall Booklet Sale. Now through the 25th, all of our gospel booklets are on sale, and I mean really on sale. Packs of 25 and 50 are 40% off, and packs of 100 are 35% off. For Don't Stub Your Toe, Are You a Rotten Fish, The Man Who Split Time, and 13 Reasons Not to Commit Suicide. There's no charge, as always, for solving the God puzzle. It's the perfect opportunity for you to grab booklets to hand out on Halloween. And no, I'm not encouraging you to celebrate the Devil's Day, but let's face it, kids are still coming to your door whether you like it or not, so why not hand them the gospel and shine some light on this dark and demonic day? And while everybody else is handing out cavities and sugar crashes, you can give the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The annual Wretched Fall Booklet Sale, happening now at Wretched.org. You're familiar with this sound. You're sitting in church. Your pastor is preaching. You have your John MacArthur study Bible open. The pastor is reading the scripture. And all of a sudden you hear everybody in church turning the page because they all have the same MacArthur study Bible. Why? Because it is so helpful to be able to read study notes underneath the verses to really grasp what God's word is trying to teach. How would you like to share the joy of putting a John MacArthur Study Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines, they typically make about 12 to $15 per, not hour, per day. It's a luxury item, and it would be such a blessing, $25 a Bible, four Bibles, $100, or perhaps you could send a Bible to a brother or sister in the Philippines every single month. Would you please consider doing that to bring joy to our brothers and sisters? Wretched.org slash Bible. Important dates in Christian history. 325 AD. The Council of Nicaea was called to address debates perplexing the church, primarily concerning the nature of Jesus. The Nicene Creed was drafted and is still one of the standards of orthodoxy among Christians. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Welcome back to Wretched. If you've ever pondered what exactly is the gift of evangelism, methinks our special guest has that gift. Dr. Lutzer, thank you for being with us as we continue to talk about the necessity for all of us to preach the gospel. Now, for the sake of of releasing us from thinking, no, I've got to get everything out. I've got to speak every truth that I know that they might get saved. No, that is absolutely our goal. And we shouldn't just let ourselves off the hook because it's getting a little bit tricky. But there are indeed some times when you just have to say, Well, look at Jesus. He told the disciples, you know, if a person doesn't receive you, you know, shake the dust off your feet. If they won't welcome you into their homes in those days, that was done. And so you move on because you realize that... uh, you know, the Chinese have a proverb that no matter how long you cook sand, it never becomes rice. 
And the point being made that if somebody is really closed, there isn't much that you can do. And while I'm on the topic of conversion, parents need to understand that they cannot convert their child. God is in the converting business. Now, what we do is we pray for them, we give them the gospel, we give them every opportunity, but it is God who gives life to the dead, and that is to the spiritually dead. So we have to trust God. So I don't have to ever talk to my kids about spiritual things? Is that what you just said? Oh, no, of course not. You have to instruct them. You have to talk to them about spiritual things. They have to understand the gospel. So that the Holy Spirit of God has content through which he's going to work. Now, let's take the words of Jesus, okay? When the Spirit is come to you, he will convict the world through, for sin and righteousness and judgment. But notice, Todd, the Spirit doesn't work in a vacuum. It's not as if people are walking down the street and then the Spirit suddenly captures them, though God can do that if he wishes. He converted Saul very quickly on the way to Damascus. But what Jesus is saying is, when the Spirit has come to you through you, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So we give our children every opportunity to believe. I'm so glad that we have three daughters, all of whom have savingly believed. They've married Christian husbands. And so we're very thankful for that. But it's not something that parents can do. But they make the gospel available and they teach their children, catechize them so that they can move on. Would you like to know one of the, because there are many, worst mistakes that I made as a Christian father with my kids, and this will maybe resonate with you as a pastor of a local church, because that's ultimately what you are. You're on radio, you write books, but you're a pastor at heart. When we were looking for a good church, when we lived in a, in a region where you, you couldn't find a very good church, so we'd go and check out churches. This was before internet days when you could avail yourself of sermons, etc. And we'd go to one silly service after another. And on the way home, because I have the gift of being judgmental, would basically trash what we had just experienced. That was a big error. Maybe my critiques were rightly aimed, but when I gave my kids the impression that I'm the consumer and that churches, they can be critiqued at will, like firing a machine gun, I think I undermined something important. But the person might say, but I don't have that gift. You would say what? Oh, I would say that you can witness for Jesus Christ. You know, you have said that I have the gift of evangelism. I'm not sure if that's true. It's just that throughout the years, what I've tried to do is to listen to people, to listen to their hearts, and to share the gospel. But here's the thing, Todd. We can't assume people know the gospel or believe it just because they come to church. In my first church, there was a man who was a doctor, and uh, his children said, you know, we don't think that dad is a Christian. Now, he came to church every Sunday and heard me preach the gospel. <laughs> 
but he's in the hospital and he has cancer. And I go visit him and I ask him, do you have the assurance of eternal life? Have you accepted Jesus as your savior? And I'll never forget his answer. I don't know how. I don't know how, and you've been listening to me preach every Sunday morning? Haven't I explained how? So I helped him to see his necessity to turn from his sins to Christ. He immediately believed. I prayed with him. After that, before he died, his relative said he always wanted the Bible to be read to him. There was a transformation of heart. But here's the thing that's very scary. Just because you go to church, even a good church, and you hear the gospel, we should not take for granted that people have believed on Christ. Similarly, I was in Texas somewhere. It's kind of a big place. And I was preaching and must have talked rather extensively about repentance, the need to turn from our sins, not in perfection, but in a new direction, and to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And I'll never forget this, man. It's funny how many Christians you meet and get to preach to, but sometimes you remember so vividly, this man was rather dapper. He was about 70-ish, and he walked toward me when the service was done, sobbing and visibly shaking. And he said, this was a man who'd gone to church his whole life. He said, nobody has ever told me I need to repent. And that was the thing that God used to help him understand that we must humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, that we must have an attitude of, I don't want those things anymore. I want Jesus instead. And he'd been going to church his entire, so seven decades of sitting in church, that is when the Lord saved him because not everybody who is in church is actually a Christian. You know, I don't have an answer for this, but when I was growing up on the farm in Canada, when I was 12 or 14, I had deep conviction of sin. Mm -hmm. Now, if you compare my lifestyle at that time with the lifestyle of other teenagers, Long before the days of the internet, we had an old radio that worked intermittently. <laughs> that was our extent of technology. Where did that conviction of sin come from? It was because I was brought up in a Christian home with godly parents. But it was that that led me to Christ. My mother said to me, we think it's time you accepted Jesus. I said, well, as a child, you know, I said, I've asked Jesus to come into my heart, but it doesn't work. She said, you must receive him by faith. So we went into the room of the old farmhouse. Fifty years later, by the way, I was in that farmhouse and saw that room, took a picture of it. I went to the room of that farmhouse, and we all knelt down. And that night, I received Christ by faith, and the next day, I knew that I knew God. But here's the point. There are so many people who believe in Jesus without really being aware of their sinfulness. They are vaguely aware. And that makes me wonder why it is that later on they may fall away. We need to emphasize that prayer doesn't save 
anybody. Jesus saves people. And if there isn't a genuine transfer of trust, a turning away from sin and trusting Jesus, salvation has not occurred just because you've said a prayer. And people need to be instructed that it is possible to think that you are a Christian because you've prayed a prayer, but the prayer does not save. Right. Now, some people would go, wait a second, don't you have to pray to get saved? Well, technically, no, but we do call out to God. But your point is that isn't the thing that saved you. That's my point. You said in an airplane, in 60 seconds, you can get the job done. I want to explain that all of us are sinners. Everything that we do is tainted, and God cannot accept our righteousness. And you have to be as perfect as God to get into heaven. If you're not perfect, don't even think you're going to make it. Now, that means all of us are in trouble. But the good news is that Jesus died on the cross and was raised and made a sacrifice for sin, that if we turn from our sin and put our faith in him alone, we are saved on the basis of his righteousness, which is credited to us on the basis of his merit and not our own. What I want you to do right now is to admit your sinfulness to Christ and receive him as your savior. He's the only one qualified to save you from your sins. Thank you for that, and I echo it. If you've never repented, place your faith in Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. We'll continue with our very special guest, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, next on Wretched. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. In a very on-brand announcement, the PCUSA plans to launch a new initiative called the Center for Repair of Historical Harms, which aims to advance historical justice for minority communities that the denomination has reportedly mistreated over generations. Basically, they're opening a center for reparations. Again, that's very on-brand for PCUSA. So when it comes to reporting news, I've learned to take the stance that the story I'm currently reporting is not going to be as odd as the next story I report. But I honestly can't see very much being odder than this. At least a thousand schools in Australia are now offering school children chips laced with insects. Yeah, you did hear that right. It's a food source that's actually being pushed by the World Economic Forum and some environmentalists as a sustainable diet choice. The edible bug company, Circle Harvest, began selling cricket corn chips to schools across Australia this year and expects the unconventional snack to be purchased by 6,000 schools by mid-2023. I'll tell you what, Biden's economy must be hitting Australia too if they have to resort to eating bugs. (laughs) And talk about actual proof of no story being odder than the next. Here's a headline, a real headline about a real scientific study. Posted by the New York Post, air pollution is making women fat. The study suggests that long-term air pollution exposure is linked to women gaining weight, particularly ladies in their late 40s and 50s. I don't think anything else really needs to be reported from that. New numbers from the UN show that India is likely going to pass China as the most populous country in the world by the end of this year. 
So that's going to be 1.43 billion people in both India and China at the start of 2023. we got a slight bit of work to do if we want to catch up here in America. And talk about controlling the narrative, Google recently took down a map that tracked pediatric gender clinics because they considered it to be harassment. So big tech is fighting back against anyone that does not want children to be sexually mutilated. Yeah, that's about par for the course. They don't just not want people to know that gender clinics exist and where they're at. They don't want people to know how many gender clinics exist. According to reports, over 500 pediatric gender clinics are in existence in America right now. And Google doesn't want you to know where they are. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible The book of Joshua tells of the conquest and division of the promised land. There are two consistent themes in Joshua, God's faithfulness and his aversion to unfaithfulness. When you wonder how committed God is to his people or doubt the seriousness of idolatry, let Joshua remind you that your God is a jealous God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Hello and welcome to Wretched. How do you know you've read a good book? The answer is ink, that you have marked up quotable quotes inside of the book always will tell you when you're done reading it and you look back, oh, I must have really liked this because there's an awful lot of ink in there. Dr. Erwin Lutzer has written two books. We will not be silenced. No reason to hide. And Dr. Lutzer, I've kind of marked these bad boys up a lot. So here's what I would like to do with you, sir. I would like to just read in no particular order some of the things that I marked up in these books, and that will set the table for you to feed us a banquet. Fair enough? Fair enough. All right. I think you'll enjoy these. These are from Dr. Erwin Lutzer. (laughs) All right. Here we go. Number one. I better agree with them. But, and I need to emphasize this, as we approach these cultural matters, we must always be gospel-driven. A biblical redemption must lie at the heart of our motivation Our goal is not that our lives will be less stressful or filled with more comfort, but rather that we have more freedom to point beyond ourselves to Christ who redeemed us. Even our collapsing culture must always be seen through the lens of our gospel witness. The gospel is the preeminent issue for everybody, whether they believe it or not at the moment, but we still want to be engaging on some of these cultural issues. So let me pick one of them, and then you perhaps share with me, how do I talk about this cultural issue the way that you just described in that quote from your book? Critical theory. Give us a brief reminder of what critical theory is, and then share with us how you might keep the gospel the main thing while talking about something as esoteric as critical theory. First of all, critical theory is really applied Marxism to race. And Saul Alinsky in Chicago saw that he could do this. He was a Marxist, and he was not interested in helping neighborhoods. He used to say to his staff, don't solve problems, use them. So just like Marx looked at economics and said we have the oppressed and the oppressors, Marx, of course, was thinking economically. Saul Alinsky and others thought about this, and they said it can be applied to race, where you have the oppressed and you have the oppressors. And you have two camps, 
and therefore in perpetual conflict, with no possibility, really, of any meaningful reconciliation. We could go on from there and talk about its implications for queer theory and all the other theories, but the simple fact is critical race theory is based on the notion, not on real racism, which of course exists, but rather on skin color. And that's why we have so much conflict in America today, a lot more conflict than we used to because of critical race theory. But you asked me, how does Christianity have a better answer? Oh, this is so critical. Christianity says, and here I'm thinking of Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free, barbarian, Scythian, who were marauders running throughout the country, but Christ is all and in all. Now think of this. What Paul is saying is that the Jews still are Jews. They have their own ethnicities. The Gentiles are still Gentiles. Do you think that there were differences between them? Plenty of differences. Scythians, barbarians, all of them having their ethnicities. But what Paul is saying is there is a transcendent unity, if they are believers, that makes them one body in Christ, that helps them to move together rather than apart from one another, that helps them work together, and we can't solve our racial issues by shouting at one another across racial fences, but rather, to put it as one person does that I quote in the book, critical race theory keeps tearing apart what Jesus died to bring together. Something else I say, I attended a seminar taught by a young a black pastor, and it was very helpful on why it is difficult to talk about racial issues. And he pointed out that we might not agree on everything, but we can still celebrate our unity in Jesus Christ. And, you know, having lived and discussed these things, I realized that uh, we aren't going to agree on everything. We see things through different eyes, different experiences. But we have to work toward unity and then say, how do we work together to make things better? But this idea of critical theory does not allow that. It constantly keeps tearing apart. And if victimhood is your empowerment, you will not give that up no matter the cost. But the Bible has an answer for our racial dilemma. The perniciousness of critical theory is, in my estimation, so staggeringly powerful and profound. Not only is it capable of separating races, it's separating genders, it's, it's putting classes against one another, but it's even putting the church at odds with one another, that we are, we are fighting about fighting about critical theory. This man-made doctrine is so antithetical to Christianity because the gospel unifies. And CRT not only tears apart our society, but I've also observed it's actually tearing apart our churches. 
This book is written not to reclaim the culture, but to reclaim the church. Interesting. And it's rightful authority to stand for righteousness in the midst of our collapsing culture. I want to encourage believers to stop running and hiding, to swim rather than surrender, and to make it successfully to the shore rather than be dragged under by the waves of today's pressures under the waves of political, cultural, and legal undercurrents. It is not written to stir up anger, to lash out, or to unnecessarily divide us in our already polarized culture. My desire is for the true church to be united rather than divided, welcoming rather than self-righteous, witnessing rather than complaining. And yet, you addressed all of the cultural issues that are on the boilerplate these days by doing just that. So tell me, pastor, and that might be a hint, why is it that you think we should not be seeking to reclaim culture but to reclaim the church? Well, people are always saying, what can we do to roll things back? How do we reclaim the culture? Well, how do we reclaim the culture? I mean, the culture is drifting along at a tremendous speed. Many of us believe in the opposite direction. So what can we do? The answer might be very little. We are oftentimes not listened to by the broader culture. The broader culture wants what it wants, and it wants to move ahead. Churchill once said, the desire to believe something is more important than rational arguments, often in the lives of people. So people don't even want to hear our arguments. My concern is, is the church capitulating to the culture? Maybe I can put it this way. There are three kinds of churches. There are churches that are complicit. They give the culture whatever the culture wants. They submit to the culture. There are churches that are complacent. They are opposed to the culture, but at the same time will say nothing about it and will not engage it. And then there are churches that are courageous who say we want to act wisely, but at the same time, we're very concerned about the fact that we have to stand for righteousness. We have to take a stand against the cultural currents of sexuality that are engulfing us. We have to stand against what's happening in our schools because Christians are involved in these conflicts. You know, several months ago, a Christian magazine had an article entitled, Don't Join the School Board. And its argument was, just disciple your children at home and, and don't worry about, in effect, what the school tells them. Keep up to date, but teach them the truth. Todd. If you knew, and I'm sure you do, what is being taught today in the schools, a book that I describe in one of my books on sexuality for ages, um, I think, ages 10 to 16, every kind of sexual perversion illustrated and considered to be perfectly normal. We cannot subject our children to this. Unless we recognize that as a church we have to stand against this, and of course this raises the whole issue of whether or not it's homeschooling or faith-based schooling or a combination or whatever, or having schools that don't teach this, there still are some good schools in our culture. Christians have to think through, what is my response? Dr. Erwin Lutzer very special guest. We're frankly shocked that he's here. Very grateful that you came 
two books that I would encourage you uh, to avail yourself of. No reason to hide. We will not be silenced so that we can keep the gospel the main thing, which we'll continue doing next with quotable quotes from Erwin Lutzer. That's going to be very special. <laughs> you agree? Next on Wretched. In November 2020, Tim Challies and his wife Aileen received the phone call every parent dreads. Their 20-year-old son Nick, while away at seminary, collapsed and died. As Tim and his wife traveled to Louisville, Tim began to do the only thing he knew to do to process his loss. He began to write. And now all of his writings, some of which have been shared publicly, some not until now for the first time, have all been compiled into his latest book, Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God. Seasons of Sorrow is a book for anyone that is loved and lost. It benefits those that are working through sorrow or those that are comforting others. You'll not only see how God is sovereign over loss, but how good he is in those moments. You'll discover how to pass through times of grief while keeping your faith, and you'll learn biblical doctrine can work itself out even in life's most difficult situations. Seasons of Sorrow, available now in the Wretched Store at wretched.org. 200. That's right, 200 Tomorrow Clubs are now up and running again in Ukraine. That means kids are hearing the gospel, they're getting saved, their parents are getting saved, the church is getting strengthened. Not only are the Tomorrow Clubs busy preaching the gospel, they're also very busy helping people. This is our buddy Max in Ukraine. We have created the Ukraine Support Fund. Thanks to our partners, Tomorrow Clubs began immediate assistance to the network of the local church it became a safe place for thousands of refugees fleeing their devastated homes. Providing food, providing clothing, potable water, a safe place, communication. Would you please consider becoming a ministry partner of the amazing ministry called Tomorrow Clubs? You can learn how you could participate in the spreading of the gospel in Eastern Europe at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Hey, hey, thank you for tuning in to Wretched Radio today. We certainly appreciate your time. Did you know there is actually something in existence that gives you information on things happening at Wretched? Things like upcoming product launches or details on upcoming seasons of our productions of Wretched Radio, Wretched TV, Road Trip to Truth, Transformed, and Breaking Bread. Also, information on job openings here at Wretched. Information on upcoming sales in the Wretched store. What I'm referring to is the monthly Wretched newsletter. If you're not already receiving the Wretched newsletter, you're missing out on all of these things and more. The Wretched Newsletter also contains thorough and in-depth messages on a wide range of theological topics, and that's not all. As a Wretched Newsletter subscriber, you're also eligible for resources that we give away daily here at Wretched. So sign up and don't miss out on any of this stuff by becoming a Wretched Newsletter subscriber by visiting our website at wretched.org, scroll to the bottom of the page, and fill out the form. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. How's inflation been treating you if costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home? Would you please visit MediShare.com slash wretched. Affordable biblical health sharing. Christians paying for other Christians' medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for mm, bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare 
It's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. It works, and the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched. Attributes of God You can trust in God. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 tells us that God is immutable. He does not change. He is faithful to fulfill His promises, just as much today as when the Bible was written. You can rest assured that His Word is still true. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Welcome back to Wretched. This from Dr. Lutzer's book, titled No Reason to Hide. We've been called to this hour. This is our moment in God's timeline. This book is intended to inform us about some of the cultural and spiritual challenges we face, while at the same time giving encouragement and direction for the days ahead. It is a call for us to be in the world, but not of the world. That's the tricky part, to confront the culture, yet not be contaminated by the culture. It is a call to remind us it's not about us, it's about Christ, and a reminder that we are his representatives. Easy to do? Nope, but that is the balance we must strike. Perhaps you've pondered with a little bit of disappointment that we are leaving the world in poorer shape than when we found it. We are in a transitional era. There is little doubt about that. And yet, we still have clear directives how we are supposed to live even as the foundations appear to be crumbling underneath our feet. We can have a sense of resignation. Things are too far gone. But the quote that we just read from you is an encouragement. You're here providentially. Any believer who feels like the, the, the war has been lost why do I have to live at a time when culture is collapsing? And the answer is because this is where God has placed you because this exactly. is where you're needed. This is our hour because we are born for this moment. You know, if God would have wanted us to be born in a previous generation, that would have happened. And, you know, those previous generations, they weren't always, you know, uh, lights and flowers and beauty. The church has always had its challenges. What's new in America is that we are up against some very legal challenges. I mean, when the ACLU files a lawsuit against the government because Christian schools are allowed to continue to discriminate regarding the LGBTQ agenda, then we know that we are in new territory and we've never been down this road before. But here's what I want to challenge people to do. To say that by God's grace, we are going to live consistent with our consciences and we're going to live Christianly in the midst of this. Many years ago, when I was leading a tour to the sites of the Reformation, we were in East Germany, which is basically where all the Luther sites are. But now the wall was down and I was talking to a pastor there and he said this, under communism, only 14% of the Christians 
really paid the price of faithfulness. For example, the communists said, unless you join the Communist Party, you know, your kids can't go to school, you're going to get the worst jobs, etc., etc. So the people buckled. But about 14 or 15 percent said, we are going to be faithful to our consciences. We are not going to join the party. We are not going to allow our, our children to be educated in communist ways. They paid a terrible price. They were marginalized. They did get the bad jobs. They did get the bad jobs. But here's the thing. You had many testimonies of God's faithfulness to these people, despite their willingness to be able to make these sacrifices, God somehow met their needs. Now, let's think a hundred years from that event, when eternity has happened and all those who participated have died, you tell me, Todd, which families made the best decision. So what I just heard you say is that we Christians need to prepare for what the Bible actually promises, that those who live godly will be persecuted. You're not suggesting we run headlong into danger and problems and set things ablaze to be consumed by the flames, but we need to adopt a mindset that this might get a little costly. This, this, might, this might hurt a little. I believe this very deeply, that we as Americans have to rethink our whole understanding of persecution. See, we always thought that as long as the church is what we think the church should be, we'd always have freedoms, we'd always have a government that would be generally favorable to Christianity, we'd have judges that would adhere to the Constitution and give us our freedoms. As that begins to move aside, we have to rethink. Philippians 1, unto you it is given on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, we all love that part, but also to suffer for his name. The implication seems to be that if you believe on Christ, the suffering will come. And of course, there are many verses. And here's something that should give encouragement to everyone. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake, great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. We as Christians have to adopt the mindset that we are really living for another world. So no matter what we endure here, it's going to be worth it. And uh, today, of course, we aren't thrown into prison generally, but we might be vilified on social media. We might lose our jobs. That seems to be one of the biggest issues that Christians are facing. We might be marginalized in other ways. Churches that take a stand oftentimes find themselves cut off from some of the resources of their communities. I could talk about that, but we must consider this a badge of honor. Not thinking to ourselves that we are these victims and we must therefore be filled with anger and grief. And it's difficult but to do it with joy because we do it for Jesus. That was more than a mouthful. And that demands that we get our brains around the idea of adjusting our thinking to have a different view on suffering, persecution, and I would even take it a step further. 
what the Christian faith actually is help us to get our brains around perhaps a realignment that needs to take place in our minds regarding suffering, persecution, and perhaps the very basics of the Christian faith and what it is that we signed on to. Well, that's a lot of things to talk about very quickly, but let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Do not think it's strange regarding the fiery trial that is to try you, as if some strange thing happened unto you. Now, for us as Americans, suffering is strange, so we don't suffer well. The early church had so much persecution that if you weren't persecuted, they thought that probably you were not a Christian. And so we need to readjust, to use your term, we need to readjust to the reality that when you sign on to believing in Jesus, you sign on to opposition from the world. Who could put it more clearly than Jesus himself? If the world hates me, the hate. If the world hates me, the world will hate you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted the master, they will persecute the servant. So who are we to think that we're supposed to sail through life without any opposition from the world? We need to get rid of that mindset. See, it, it's, it's a tricky sermon to preach because Jesus, he just kept raising the bar of salvation. Not that we do anything to inherit it, but the demands of the gospel. You put your hands to the plow, you don't look back. You let the dead bury their own dead. We adopt a mindset that says oh, we're done with ourselves. We are living for another, but we want to make sure that we don't present that as you've got to keep the laws in order to yeah, be yeah. saved. So there's a real danger there. But having said that, what we signed on to is death to self, living for another. And as you quoted First Peter 4, I think if anybody does a read through the epistles and they see the word suffering or persecution, it is inevitably tied to Jesus. Let this mindset be among you, his mindset, that First Peter is all about. This is about the proclamation of the gospel. Our Savior suffered, and you will too. Perhaps you need that adjustment like we all do at this time. With thanks to Dr. Erwin Lutzer, until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>